Okay. Hopefully, uh, parents will be able to uh, check in their kids pretty quick and be back here. But uh, we're going to dive in here pretty quick with uh, the Word of God and um, our topic this morning, looking at the gifts of God and specifically the grace gifts. Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, but I'm pretty sure if I look at uh, the room this morning, we have been busy for the last four Sundays uh, preaching mainly out of Ephesians 4 verses 11 to 13, looking at the gifts of God and specifically the ones that God had given to build up His church. Uh, all of the gifts that have been given by God are for that purpose to build up His church. But we specifically looked in Ephesians 4 at the apostles, prophets, evangelists, uh, shepherds, and teachers. But this morning we're going to shift our attention to uh, Romans 12, verses 3 to 8. So if you have your Bibles here, if you can uh, open up in the book of Romans, so right after the book of Acts, it's the letter that uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to uh, the Roman church or the church in Rome. And we're going to look at um, what he tells them uh, with regards to seven specific gifts, which we call the grace gifts. And then we're going to practically look at how that can work and should work in the body of Christ. So uh, let's read together out of Romans 12, verses 3 to 8. Paul says, For by grace given to me, I say to every, everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who, who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let us just uh, pray before we get started with looking at the text. Uh, Father God, we thank you uh, for this new day. We thank you that we can start off this day by focusing on you, that we can glorify you and that we can gather before you this morning. And, and Lord, uh, thank you for the privilege to honor you and bless your name as we've already done through music. Uh, and Father, thank you for the privilege that we can now look at your word. And Father, thank you that we can come and ask Come and speak, for your servants are listening. Uh, we are desperate to hear you and, and what you have to say. So, um, Holy Spirit, come and illuminate to us this morning. Come and open the eyes of our hearts that we can see you and uh, what your heart is for your church. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I would mentioned in the last four Sundays, 
we have looked at the gifts out of Ephesians 4. But if there is anything that you should have picked up in uh, the first four weeks in this series about the gifts that God has given His church, it should be this. And I hope that it is this. That the gifts of God are, of course, dependent on God's power. It's not dependent on our power. We have got nothing within ourselves and in our own strength that can enable the working of those gifts. And another point is that the gifts that we have looked at so far are all dependent on one another. The one gift cannot operate without the others. So, for example, the apostles are dependent on the prophets, the teachers, the evangelists, the shepherds. And so are the other gifts also then dependent on the apostles and vice versa. We see that clearly shown to us out of the book of Acts. Now, in other words, God has designed His church in a specific way to reflect his character. And that character is that God is community. Being that God has revealed himself to us as one God, but he is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. What a mystery. What a mystery it is to, to know that we honor and serve and worship one God, but He reveals Himself as a community where there's perfect communion. And so He has equipped the church and given the church the gifts to reflect that. Now, thinking about community and, and sort of this idea of team, I'm not sure how many of you have ever been part of a team or a committee or in some sort of way have been dependent on other people and, and you know, in our everyday lives, I would say the majority of us are part of, of uh, structures like that. But if you know anything about a team, you would know that it, it, it can get pretty challenging. It is a unique setup because you've got different people with different backgrounds, with different giftings, different skills, different talents that come together for a common purpose and a goal. And they try and come up with a game plan of how to achieve that goal. But we all know that within these teams, there's something that can be detrimental to any team. And that is nothing other than the fact that if you have a, a couple of players, or could be the majority of the players in that team, or people within that team, if if they're in it, not for the team, but they're in it for themselves. They might be very gifted. They might be very talented. They might have all the experience. They might have all the talents. But in the end, their egos are too big. We have all seen that happen in the Olympic Games, right? Winter Olympics. You get a country that's maybe got a star-studded team from the NHL. They're going to walk over all the other countries, over Russia, over Canada, over Sweden. And then what happens? They, they can't go and get the gold medal because, of course, Canada gets it, right? Canada wins. 
Okay? Now, Canada, of course, has got some good stars. But we've seen that time and time again, not just in hockey, but in different sports, in different areas of life. And so in the same way, I've, I, I want to show us that Paul is showing us out of this morning's text that the church being one body with different members and all the members being dependent on one another is similar to a team. A team to which, to which each and every one of us are supposed to contribute in humility to. And not just seeking our own desires and what we think is best. And so this morning I want to show us two things. Firstly, that humility enables grace gifts. And then secondly, grace gifts build up the church. Just two points this morning. So under the first idea, humility enabling grace gifts. Let's look at verses 3 to 5 again. Paul says this, he says, For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. If we look at that, we see Paul first emphasize the fact that he has received grace. First of all, he has received grace. He's not there out of his own power. It's not because of all the achievements that he had accomplished. But it is by the grace of God that he has received forgiveness for his sins and received the apostolic gifting in order to do what we see he, he did in the book of Acts. So he makes it clear that grace is a gift. Grace cannot be earned. Grace cannot be worked for. It cannot be inherited. It is a gift. You have to receive the gift of grace by faith in Jesus Christ. That is the entry point to be reconciled back to God the Father. Paul carries on with this idea about grace. And he commands the church in Rome not to think of themselves more highly than what they ought to think. Now, it's interesting. He says, don't think of yourselves more highly than what you ought to think. In other words, the issue is not thinking about yourself. That's not the problem. We ought to think about ourselves. We need to assess ourselves. But too much. Or too highly. Paul understood that pride was the opposite of humility and thus an obstacle to the grace of God. You see, by default mode, naturally, as humans, we tend to think a little bit too much about ourselves. 
We overestimate our abilities. We overestimate our capabilities. How do I know this? Well, just that a look at social media and Facebook and Twitter would reveal that very quickly to us. You know, what do we post on there? What am I eating tonight? Photos of that. And where did I go last year? And where am I going? And what do I think about the current political situation? And what do I think is the solution to our country? You know, the other day I was running there in Valley Cliff and I'm right next to the river. It, it just snowed and, and it's beautiful outside and it's cold. It's maybe minus one or zero. And as I'm running, I've got my phone with me and all of a sudden I think, I'm just quickly going to take a couple of selfies and I'm going to post it on Facebook, <laughs> right, with the, the snow and everything. Because do you know why? I know that I have family and friends in South Africa and man, if they see that, they're like, Ooh, Rudy, you're so extreme. Running in the snow. Okay. But in that moment, I caught myself just to think about this. I was looking at the mountains and I realized, how ridiculous is this? Because if I were totally honest in that moment, I was thinking about what this post could mean for my image. Instead of what it should mean for the image of God. Had I perhaps taken the photos and said, how amazing is our God to have created this nature around me that I can enjoy? We see the same idea given to us out of 1 Peter 5, where Peter writes and he says, in verses 5 to 6, he says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud... But it gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, God may exalt you. So these verses remind us again of the fact that the church is not about you. The church is not about any, any individual or me. The church, which is the ecclesia, the called out ones, if we listen to, to that, it is plural. It is we instead of me. It is us instead of I. Look at Paul's language. He says it, it's, about, it's about God and His church. Us, the people of God, being one body with many members. And so under this first point of humility enabling grace gifts, I believe... The big idea that Paul is driving here in these first two verses is that we need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. We need to humble ourselves by having a sober perspective of who we are in the greater picture of things. If I can be just blunt about it, we as the church, we need to get over ourselves. Rudy needs to get over himself. I need to get over myself with regards to what I think the Rock Church needs to be or what I think the Church of Christ needs to be or how I think people need to act. Glenn needs to get over himself. 
and he'll chuckle about, <laughs> about that statement at the back. <laughs> All of us need to really get over ourselves. If we're really honest about wanting to get onto God's agenda. I believe that if we looked at, uh, look at uh, Jesus' life on his way to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed this prayer in the end, in all of his anxiety, knowing what was lying ahead of them. He prayed, Father, not my will be done, but yours. You know, what would we see happen in the church and in our church if that's the posture that we would take? If we start praying, Father, not your will. Oh, not, not, not my will, sorry. Not my will, but yours. And so that moves us into the direction of looking then what the outflow of that is going to be. If, if we humble ourselves, it leads us then to grace gifts that God has given His church in order to build up His body. Let's look at verses 6 to 8 of that chapter. Paul says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So out of that we get a list of seven gifts. And I'll repeat them again and they will be up on the screen. It's the gifts of prophecy, service, teaching, exhorting or encouragement, contributions or giving, leading, and mercy. Now the first thing that I want to just highlight here for us is that we need to notice Paul says having gifts and they differ. In other words, the gifts are already at work in the church and they are different. There are many gifts. Uh, this specific list of seven, that's not an exhaustive list of gifts. We know that in Ephesians 4 we had our five gifts of apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, which we will look at next Sunday, we've got a whole another list of gifts that God has given His church. But with regards to these seven gifts, let's go over them and see how they practically can manifest and should manifest in the church. The first one that's listed there is prophecy. And we have already looked at prophecy together with the gift of the prophet. We know that in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 39, Paul encourages the church to say, we should all be eager to prophesy. And he gives the reason. He says, prophecy builds up the church. Now, a big question with regards to that is, how does prophecy build up the church? And why, specifically, is this gift so important for the church. I want to highlight why I believe that is so. Firstly, is it makes the word of God clear and shine forth. 
In other words, the word of God is revealed to us in such a way that everyone is able to learn and being built up into the image and likeness of Christ. But a second reason is that I believe that it helps reveal God's, to God's people what God is doing and what is He going to do. He either does this to the whole body or He can do this on an individual basis. And I'm going to put up a text there that demonstrates this specifically on an individual basis. 1 Timothy 1 verse 18, Paul writes to Timothy, and he says this to Timothy. He says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Isn't that interesting? Prophecies spoken about Timothy, about his ministry. And so that serves for us as an example of how prophecy is something, yes, bringing forth and revealing the word of God to the church, to build up the church, but it should also be practiced, as we see, to build up individual members. So that's very important. That's the first gift. Looking at the next three gifts of teaching or service teaching and exhorting, the main idea with these gifts is that it is someone who is gifted in this specific area and that they should be devoted to become disciplined in that specific gift through perseverance. We see that in the wording that is given to us. We see that if you're gifting a service, do it while serving. To teach in teaching. If it is encouragement or exhort, in your exhorting. This does not mean that anyone who is gifted in a specific area is then exempt from serving in a different capacity. Understand this very clearly. It doesn't mean that, okay, I'm gifted in teaching, I, this means I can't serve. <laughs> That's a misunderstanding of the scripture. But the question in the end is, what does it look like practically? So let's, let's have a look at these gifts very quickly this morning. The, the first one there then, gift of service. It refers to a specific gift of service that qualifies a person actually in the office of a deacon. But all of us are actually called to be servants, to be deacons. Whether you are officially given that title or whether you're someone that's part of the body constantly serving. So it is a ministry also that is apparently involved especially in organizing and providing for the material needs of the church. And Paul urges people then who are gifted in this area to use it in service. And he emphasizes the importance of recognizing the gift and using it in accordance with its nature. In other words, stick with your gift. If you're gifted in, in, in serving and, and it's not an effort for you, do it. 
The next one there is, is teaching, the gift of teaching. This is a, a special gift that someone might have to explain or expound tradition and doctrine within the Bible to the body of Christ in order that they may be encouraged, in order that their faith will grow. It is different to prophecy as prophecy, as we can see in 1 Corinthians 14, can be more spontaneous and what the prophets then say have to be weighed by others. Teaching, of course, we also have to discern and listen to what people are teaching. But teaching is specifically people who are gifted in, in studying the Bible. They love studying the Bible and, and looking at the deeper things and then teaching. Teaching the body of Christ. Next one there, exhorting or encouragement. The word could also be translated as comforter or encourager. And it refers to the activity of urging Christians to live out the truth of the gospel. Practically what this means, it's, it's that person who's always coming to you and be like, you know what, Jesus said this, man, like, I've come to, to serve and, and not to be served. And you know what, it's, it's just someone who's always in the word and trying to lift you up with the truth of God's word. It's that person who's always willing to come and and pray for you and say, man, I see you're down. I, I see like what's going on. Let's talk about this. And, and they are available to encourage you. Those are the comforters and the encouragers. Can all of us do that? Yes. But you do get people that are specifically, that's, that's their sweet spot. That is where... They flourish. But all of us can do that by the power of the Spirit. The last three gifts we look at this morning is, the first one is uh, contributions or giving. And it refers to people who, you know, they just love giving. They love giving their time. They love giving their resources. They love giving their money. For the sake of the kingdom of God. It's easy for them. It's, it's, not a, it's not a big deal for them. They do it out of love. And the difference here is that Paul says, listen, those that make contributions and giving, do it generously. Do it with simplicity. You know, don't go and post it on Facebook how much money that you have given to orphans and, and whatnot. That's then Jesus says, if, if we're all about boasting what we do, we have already received our reward right here and right now because people were like, ooh. But it's not about that. And now with regards to this one, you might ask, but hold on, aren't all of us commanded out of Scripture to give? Aren't all of us commanded out of Scripture to use our finances, our money, and our time for the sake of the kingdom? And I would say yes, most definitely. All of us, are encouraged to live a life where we give our money, our time, our effort, and even our possessions. But it is just a matter of fact that there are some people that are specifically given the gift of giving, and they just give, give, give over and over and over again. 
And I believe the reason why that is so is, is they realize and understand that everything we have is not ours. Nothing that we have is ours. If you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you acknowledge that He is the giver of everything. In other words, He is, he is the owner of it all. You were merely a steward. And the way that we use that is reflective then of our relationship with Him. Second last gift, gift of leading, refers to people who are gifted in a way that they're able to lead people. In other words, people follow them. And people follow them because they can recognize that, hey, this person in the church, this person is a leader, is following God, is following Jesus. Uh, they know the Word of God, and they can see the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their lives. People want to participate in ministries that these leaders then initiate. I'm thinking about Bible studies. I'm thinking about mission trips. Small groups. And what is awesome about this gifting is that you don't have to be an elder or a deacon or in an official position. There are many people sitting in the church and they are able to lead. They have been given this gift. And they are encouraged to do it with diligence and with zeal. So do it with passion. Do it, do it with that intention. Which leads us to the last of these gifts that are listed here for us this morning. The last one is mercy. Or in other translations can be translated as the gift of love. Which all of us if we're in Christ, have by the power of the Holy Spirit that's been poured into our hearts, the Scripture says. But this specific gift refers to a special ministry out of love to those who are in desperate need, those who are sick, those who are suffering, those who are struggling emotionally. These people are compassionate, always willing to help and assist and serve people who struggle. They want to pray. They want to raise money. They want to start orphanages. And they are commanded by Paul to do it cheerfully. Why to do it cheerfully? Because it can be draining. It can be very draining to be involved with that type of ministry. Street ministry. Are all of us actually commanded to be involved in that? Yes. The book of James talks about the fact that worship that is sincere... Religion, that is really true, is about looking after the orphans and visiting the widows in their affliction. We know that in the book of uh, Micah, it is said that what is it that God requires of you? Love mercy, seek justice, walk humbly with your God. But some people are just specifically gifted in those areas that they initiate it, they lead it. And that is the gift that God has given them. And those are your seven gifts. But, like I said, they're not exhaustive. We see there is a, a whole group of gifts, different categories. And in the end, we have to ask ourselves the question here, as the Rock Church, 
Are those gifts operating here in this specific church? To which I would say emphatically, yes. We are extremely, extremely thankful to be blessed with people who are operating in these giftings. And I'm, I would say we have people in our community, community of believers who might not even be gifted in certain areas, but they serve. They might not be gifted in leading, but they lead. They might not even be gifted in mercy, but they, they do it out of a love for Jesus. But then also, we know that, and we shared that um, last Sunday, I believe she, uh, Glenn shared that, you know, when the elders come together and, and we discuss the church and, and we pray for the church and we're asking who is missing, who is hurting, and when we get excited about what God is doing in Squamish and doing in the Rock Church, and we see new people coming to the Rock Church, we see the church is growing, and we're sitting with this problem of, are we moving to a different building? Are we, are we going to go to two services? Then we also start asking the question, but listen, do we have enough people who are serving? And if we're going to be honest, we've got to tell you, we then hold back a little bit and say, we have a lot of people that might be coming on a Sunday morning, but there is still room for people to serve. We don't have everyone who is exercising their gifts. And so the issue might be that either some people don't know what their giftings are, or they're perhaps being held back by fear or doubt that leads them not to exercise their gifts. Or it might just be that we have people that come here and, and they have not established a relationship with God in that sense yet. We might have people that are actually then not functioning as being part of the body of Christ and being a member. And what that actually then means in the end is you're an attendee and a consumer. If a person is in Christ, born of the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit's love and power, then it is clear that what God has called us to is then to operate in that power and to live in that power and to live in that love and to be part of His church. And so, in conclusion, I'm going to say this. You might listen to this and you're like, okay, well, Rudy, so what, is, what does this mean? How, how do you then suggest I discover what I'm gifted in and, and, and where to get started? Many churches will give you a, an inventory and, and you fill that out in order to establish what you're gifted in. But I believe the see here at Rock Church, the best way is to start by loving God first and loving people and serving in any of these areas. Try something. Just try something. In that way, you will discover whether or not you're gifted in that area. And people will affirm it. 
before we came to Canada in South Africa, I was serving on setup teams and, and part of other ministries. And then I tried playing guitar one time on the worship team and they muted me because I was that bad. <laughs> but then when we came to Canada, there was at the church we were at a need and I had a desire to serve in that capacity. And as I stepped out in faith, God grew me. And He is the one who added the growth. And I can only give the glory to Him. And so in that same way, I'm going to leave you then with this last verse and encouragement from Paul that he gave to his spiritual son, Timothy. He says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying, in, uh, laying on of hands. Paul says, Fan into flame the gift of God. Fan into flame what the Holy Spirit has done within you. Isn't that amazing? You have a responsibility to fan it into flame. You have a responsibility to seek after God, to seek after His heart. Because it's a mistake to think that it's just going to come by itself. You're, the Holy Spirit is just going to overwhelm you with a sense of you need to give your, 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 your money to God's kingdom and for God's kingdom. Or He's just going to, to naturally lead you to serve. And so I charge all of us this morning in the same way to fan into flame the gift of God who is the Holy Spirit. He can only work and be fanned into flame if you have surrendered your life completely to Jesus Christ. And the way to do that is to do what Paul had commanded us there in the first part of, of this morning's text. We need to think of our lives and of ourselves with sober judgment and come to God in humility. And that means to surrender. That means to acknowledge your sin before a holy and righteous God and to acknowledge that you need His help. That is what it looks like for us. Once the Holy Spirit takes a hold of your life, He is the one who gives you the power to then go and build up His church. Let us just bow our heads and pray. I'm going to ask for the, the worship team to make their way to the front.